for those of you who may be watching and uh, for those of you who will watch later, thank you first and foremost. Uh, my name is Greg Andrews. I'm Steve Ross. And we are the founders of Open. Hopefully you're watching this because you've gone to our website, www.ruopen.org, or you follow us on Facebook or one of the many social media sites that we've found our way onto. Um, first, we're going to go ahead and introduce ourselves a little bit more in depth than just names, and then we have a couple of topics to talk about to, uh, yeah, today. So uh, I'll let you go ahead, Steve. All right. Well, my name is Steve Ross. I... Um, did my undergraduate at California State University Chico, did my BA in psychology. During my time there I was involved in a lot of different things, multicultural organizations, things like that, but I've just always sort of had an interest in diversity. So I ended up going to grad school at the University of Denver with Greg and there um, you know, we did a lot of studying in higher education but also a lot of, lot of focus on diversity. We even had the privilege to take class on white privilege so that was cool. Uh, shout out to Chris Linder. Uh, so with that, um, yeah, just a little bit about me. Cool. Um, I, you know, I'm a resident director right now at Southern Maine Community College, the whitest state in the country so it was important for me to learn about white privilege. Um, I did my undergrad at the University of Maine at Farmington, studied history, focused a lot on the civil rights era. It's always been a passion of mine, diversity, social justice, those areas. Uh, much like Steve, I went to the University of Denver, as he said. Uh, I went there because of their emphasis on social justice and diversity and was able to do a few things with the diversity development team that they had with their housing and residential education department and was fortunate enough to actually work in an inclusive excellence case competition with Molson Coors and help them develop a more inclusive training. So this is right up my alley and um, that's where we met as, and became friends and um, big shout out to Chris Linder who actually gave us an idea to start a blog for class and we just turned it into a hobby and, and something we really want to do. Yeah, I, I reflect those sentiments exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, if you're watching, um, either live or not live. Uh, thank you a ton for the inspiration and you know we owe a lot of this to you so thank you. Alright so do we want to get right into it? Or? Yeah why not? Alright so our first topic, um, I don't know some of you may or may not have heard, uh, there was a white man support rally this weekend. Um, apparently one of the organizers online talked about how he felt that white men specifically were being discriminated against in America for a number of different reasons including um, you know, we talk diversity, not just being about the empowerment of other cultures, but as a way, as sort of a white genocide, and that you know, uh, with affirmative action and things like that, we're actually the rest of us are out plotting to get white people or white men in specific, um, and and somehow erase them off the planet. Uh, as you can tell, you can kind of tell sort of the, the sarcasm in my voice. Um, because I think it's a lot of horse crap, <laughs> but uh, it's one of those things where you know he just felt like white people were being attacked and discriminated against and constantly um, sort of put under this pressure, um, and I strongly disagreed with that. So it was just kind of the the march. I believe or the march was supposed to take place in a bunch of different places. Um, it was March fifteenth, so I believe that was the Saturday, and. Uh, yeah, it was just about basically getting white people to stand up for being white and, you know, defend themselves. So, Yeah, definitely. Um, I watched the video after Steve did. He actually sent it to me. And after we both watched it, we decided to talk about it a little bit. One of the things that I found pretty interesting about it is as you watch it, and we'll post it on the website so you can see it, um, but if you're watching right now, by all means, go to uh, Google and search for White Man March or uh, YouTube and you can find it. But in the video, the spokesperson, the person who is talking about all of this, and you can find transcripts if you can't understand it because it's a little um, auto-tuned, but you never see the person. It's always just a sound wave line, which I thought was pretty curious. Um, you stand for this, but you don't show your face throughout the entire thing. And I was wondering uh, what you thought about that, Steve. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I think there's always that, you know, if you're going to stand for something, you, you, you put yourself out there to be to be criticized and, and to you know get that feedback. Uh, we we've had it a couple of times where people have come on our website and told us that they disagree with, uh, strongly with what it is that we're doing. But uh, it's one of those things. I think the 
person organizing this, or at least the guy behind the video, knew that he was going to come under some scrutiny for the for the website and for his for his thoughts and trying to put together the white man march. Um, and rather than just putting it out there and, and standing behind it, you know, he chose to, um, you know, not show his face. Or I'll put it out there. He chose to hide. It, it, to me, it seems like you're hiding. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, if you're, if you're going to stand for something, put it out there, you know, and there's some risks associated with that, you know, um, you know with, with any sort of thought or political movement or, or any sort of thoughts like that. But, you know, I don't know. I think that's not the bravest thing that the person could have done. <laughs> Well, and, I, and I, one thing I, I noticed is um, on our site, if you look in the identities, in the race one, we have a video of the young man from Towson University out in Maryland who wanted to start the White um, Student Alliance, and they would do patrols and so on, and it came under a lot of scrutiny. They showed a lot of clips from, those, from that video, and the student who was running that night, I can't remember his name right now, and I probably should, but... He stood very much in the forefront of what he was trying to do. And so for them to show him but refuse to show themselves, it was very interesting because are they trying to use him since he's a student, you know, somebody who has already come under a ton of scrutiny, you know, somebody that the press will kind of leave alone? Were they trying to kind of put that image out there and, like, here, talk to him. He's already done all this. Or were they, like you said, hiding? And I, I would say they were probably doing a little bit of both. Mm. Um, I, I definitely think. They were hiding, and, and that irritated me. I'm not going to lie. Um, being somebody who's white, not that uh, my identity has really ever come under attack, per se, um, to see somebody kind of do something like that and then not even have the uh, wherewithal to, to show who they are, it, it, it irked me quite a bit. Right. I think, I think we should take a step back, though, and talk about why, why this is problematic. Um, because we do have the habit of just sort of depth before, because I know we have these conversations all the time, but anybody watching may not, it may come across as Stevens being very aggressive and very sort of, you know, um, hostile. But what it is is that the, the history of, of pretty much the formation of America is not being taken into account in that white, white men specifically have always had an advantage in America in terms of, you know, in terms of ownership and wealth and education and things like that, there's never really been a time in America where white men have been discriminated against. So with this, it's kind of hard, at least for me, to understand where this guy's coming from because he makes it seem like right now, right here, right now, there's a point in America where white men specifically are being targeted and discriminated against. But if you look at, you know, who's still being educated the most, who still own, you know, who still has the most amount of money, who still was. Um, sort of being the most successful in America and still, you know, white men. You know, there are a host of other identities that go into that. But for this guy to come out and say that white men are specifically being targeted and specifically are, are, are struggling or, or being, you know, I believe the word he used was, um, yeah, he was saying a white genocide. I I'd strongly, especially when we, we, when we look at historical or even current acts of genocide where people are literally being killed by the thousands, you know, that's not happening in America. You don't see that, you know, where, where white men are being, you know, taken out left and right and things like that. None of that is happening. And, in fact, you know, um, every college campus I've been at, you know, it's majority white people and, you know, things like that. So I think it's hard. It's, one, I, I, would, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that this person's sort of with claims is not backed up by any sort of facts or any sort of, um, statistics or research at all to say that, you know, that there's some sort of genocide against white people, specifically white men, happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, the one point that he kept emphasizing a lot of was um, we're becoming the minority because I think the, ter the, the number was 30% or something like that. Within the next, I think, five years, we'll be 35 or 30% of the country and we'll be the minority, but... I mean, one of the things that he obviously doesn't realize is that minority, as is often used in society, refers to identity versus numerically. Um, you know, and they used uh, he used affirmative action. I think that was the one that that kept coming up. And you know, affirmative action is meant to, in its intention, not that it always works out this way, but in its intention is to is emphasize to even the playing field, per se. Um, 
and he looks at it as a way to weed out the white man, to weed out um, hardworking white man, which it sounds like the same diatribe you've heard since you know the 50s, back before the Civil Rights Act, and you know it sounds like um, you know here in Maine we had a big influx of Somali refugees come in, and all we hear here is oh they're taking our jobs immigration down south with uh, people from Mexico and, and South America coming up. Oh, they're here to take our jobs. But at the same time, like, is it really they're coming to take our jobs or, you know, is, is affirmative action really part of that? It, it's just a very convoluted, I guess, kind of idea where I, I would agree. I don't think he did any research. I think it's just one of those, I'm going to speak from the heart, speak with, to be honest, what I thought was hate. Um, and really just try to get those people who haven't studied the issues much to get on board. And I'm sure there was a lot of people. I haven't actually checked to see, and I don't know if you have, um, what the turnouts were for those. No, I haven't. I haven't. I, you know, I, was sort of, I sort of read the article and was like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> um, but I think you bring up a good point when you're talking about you know, the influx of people and sort of that, you know, they're taking our jobs or that that our spot and that mentality that that I see permeate through, throughout white culture and, and with white people, specifically with education in terms of college enrollment, things like that, and that they're taking our spots. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like the mindset is that, you know, college, you know, enrollment in college or, you know, the seats, quote unquote, you know, the numbers, you know, the, the mentality is that they belong to white people and that when people of color come in and, and steal the seats that they're taking it but the question is like that spot didn't belong you know it's that that sense of ownership that comes with white privilege of those are our spots and they took them but it's like you didn't own those spots and not you but you know the, those spots weren't owned in the first place um, and so that that I find that personally frustrating especially having to sit through and and, and when, when I've done diversity trainings and things like that and hear people talking about or hear, hear white students talk about well, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, so-and-so being black, they wouldn't be there, and, you know, there's a good white person that, deserved, you know, deserved that spot and things like that. And it, it, find it, I find it horribly frustrating. Um, and so there's that piece that, that just, you know, it's that, and now we're seeing that permeate throughout culture and sort of what that white man marches about is trying to fight to get their spots back and that, that sense of ownership um, with things that, you know, white people don't own. Um, and then the other thing you talked about was was sort of when he was talking about speaking with hate, and that's that you know when we talk about you know the um, million man march and marches that are that are for groups of color and things like that to sort of talk about or to sort of put their own issues out there and have them be at the forefront. Um, these marches always come from a place of of being inclusive and wanting to feel validated in society or at least having the same chance. And this march, or at least this whole premise, is sort of trying to get back to a place where you know, America is fully behind white people being better and, and is willing to acknowledge that. Um, and, and it comes from that, you know, the white man march is more about separating themselves from everybody else rather than, you know, building this thing where everyone feels included and everyone feels involved and everyone get in, gets an equal shot. I mean, even the name itself is the white man march, but he's talking about white people. And so it's now you're leaving out, you know, an entire group of people who don't identify as men within white culture. So with that, I think that's the, that's the big piece too, is that his, his mindset or the person putting it on, their mindset isn't on inclusion or at least looking for a fair shot. It's how can we get back to being number one and, and continue to dominate? At least that's the way it came across to me was from you know that domination, um, trying to retain privilege at its highest point piece. No, absolutely. Um, sorry, I was, I was taking a look at... Uh, at the the website that actually that was on it has its own website whitemanmarch.com um, mm. original I realize um, just taking a look at kind of some of the things because everything that they say in the video mm -hmm. underneath is written and sure. you know it, it talks about um, you know we are planning to show that white people are organized and impassioned that we know that the anti-white agenda or what the anti-white agenda is all about, and that we are dedicated to waking up as many of our folk as possible. Now, it's it's funny because, like I said um, in the intro, I studied the civil rights era, and 
it sounds vaguely familiar um, to what you would hear about, you know, the the black uh, community trying, you know, Martin Luther King, other leaders, uh, Malcolm X, trying to quote unquote wake people up and try to get them to understand. So uh, it was it was interesting because as I listened to it before, it, it definitely sounded like the same um, same speech, but instead of um, you know, oh, we need to show um, the United States, we need to show white people that we're, we're equals too. Um, you know, I hate to say this. Well, I guess I don't because I'm going to. But I mean, it, it's just an example of a white privileged man using his privilege to not necessarily rewrite history, history but duplicate it in his image. That's a really good point. I know it's weird that I would make that point, right? <laughs> but no, that's a really good point when you think about it, because there's definitely that that similarity in language used. Um, but you're absolutely right about the right. Nice, I like it. <laughs> I'm pulling out all the stops for our first broadcast. <laughs> um, I mean, other than that, it's just. I mean, as a person of color, specifically as a black man, I identify. Um, it's just, it's just frustrating, you know. At the end of the day, to see something like that, especially when, you know, we've had Trayvon Martin happen, and within that, we had, I believe his name was Jordan Davis. I could be wrong, um, but there's all these cases of black people still being discriminated against and things like that. And for this, this, I'm just gonna assume it's a white man who came up with this whole movement. So for a white man to come out after all this has happened and still talk about how white people are being discriminated against. I mean, even if you look at, you know, let's take it back to the Casey Anthony case. You know, I, I would, we willing to bet a lot of money that she, if, if Casey Anthony was not a white woman, she wouldn't have been able to get away with, you know, murdering her own child. So, um, so, and there's still that, there's still that piece there. So as, as we've seen discrimination happen almost on a daily basis. There's still, you know, this there's, there's this white man comes out and says, "Oh, white people are being discriminated against," and so it's that's incredibly frustrating, especially the, to those of us that have been discriminated against for a number of reasons. Um, to, for this, you know, for this person to, to put it out there that they've been discriminated against, it's incredibly frustrating. And you know, part of me is, is trying to keep this as intellectual as possible, but it's hard also not to get emotional and not to say, "Well, man, forget this dude." Then. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's it's that it's that's sort of the reality too. Is that you know, um, you know, it's, it's people of color, people with marginalized identities. You know, you sort of gotta you know advocate for yourself while trying not to get discriminated against. While you know, that that, that experience is there, and it's, it's point being, it's frustrating. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. No, I, I mean absolutely, and I, this is an area which I mean, obviously, you you have much more. Um, I wouldn't say much more passion, but I think, like you said, it's frustrating. There's more emotion um, in that in that area. But I think one of the reasons why we started, and by all means, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the reasons why we started open was because we have this passion, because we have identities now. Yes, I'm a straight white man. I don't have a lot of uh, marginalized identities, but the ones that I do, I'm very passionate about. Um, you know this, we've had this conversation, and I'm sure in, in future podcasts we'll talk about them. Um, but um, the whole reason we did this is because we do have a passion. And so, I, you know, I don't think it's bad at all to show emotion. And, uh, I, you know, we, we've also talked about uh, in the past, um, you had brought up, being in conversations and diversity trainings about the white kids talking about how there are spots, and I remember a very clear example of that <laughs> um, when we were talking to students, and and uh, I remember how heated you got, and and what you had brought up, you know, like if I if I were to go off right here, I don't want to look like that angry black man, and um, right. I don't have that, you know, that stereotype. I don't have that image to be concerned about. So, um, so I know that by me saying like let it all go, that's also a privilege of mine, right. um, but again, I think like passion, passion sells. And I'm not saying we're marketing anything because when you're watching this, it's for free. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like um, passion is what gets people interested. Passion is what gets people talking. And um, by all means, I know that when we start talking about identities of mine that um, I'm I'm passionate about, I'm gonna be red in the face, and I'm gonna want to say things that I'm not going to say on live air. So. Right. 
Um, I did happen to keep looking, um, and I wanted to read a quote from, from the video because um, we could have played a game called Is This the 1950s or Is This Today? <laughs> <clears throat> so here's the quote. Um, so whites are privileged to watch TV shows, commercials, and movies which portray white characters as utterly evil or bumbling idiots and which also advocate race mixing as a most noble act. Let's talk about that. Uh. <laughs> when, when have, uh, I, I don't recall the last time we had a stereotype um, in my race of the Mammy, the, Sam, the Sambo, um, you know, right. those characters. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, we somebody would say that. You know, I look at it as though, um, you know, we, we've done a project together in which we looked at how microaggressions are in film, and in TV, and the only time we see those characters that he's talking about here is when there is a lack of people of color or marginalized identity, um, and they kind of fill that quote-unquote role. And not, that's not me saying that I think that we should have people of color to fill those roles. That's not what I'm getting at. Um, but, what, like, I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of a question posed as a statement. Right. Um, and I'm trying to gather my thoughts. Oh, um, all right. So with that, there's a couple of thoughts that I have. Typically, and I had, in a class that I took, we had the same conversation. So I'm going to do the intersectionality thing, specifically with white men. Typically when you see white men looked at as fond as, as goofy or idiots or kind of dumb, the only genre you really see that happen is in comedy, when it's, when it's not taken seriously. Um, so I mean, we looked at we looked at Friends, we looked at How I Met Your Mother, we looked at Full House, and those feature some pretty pretty goofy, bumbling white dudes. But when you turn on shows, I love to watch CSI. I like to watch Law and Order. You know, when you look at the serious shows where, where things actually need to happen and the characters are dramatic and things get serious. It's always you know at that point that's when you start to see you know, the, the stereotypes come through of the, the serious white man who's on top of his job, who who's who's not a bumbling idiot at all. In fact they're the most they're not only the star of the show, but they're the smartest one or they're the geniuses and and you know, um, things like that. I'm thinking two of my favorite shows to watch are Breaking Bad and A House of Cards. Um told both two really good shows. And if you look at that one, when you look at the the main characters of both white men who are straight um, both are geniuses and both are very good at what they do and at no point, sure they might mess up and take a step here or there, but at no point would anybody consider them goofy or fumbling or, or an idiot or anything. I mean, um, what's the TV show with the zombies? Um, oh, Walking Dead? Walking Dead, same thing. Anytime you take a, a Game of Thrones, well, like, you name it, it's, it's always, you know, the white men in those shows are always taken seriously. As far as like the evil component, you know, it's funny, my auntie said something and it made me laugh and they're like, Behind every evil plan is a white dude in a suit. And every time I've ever watched any sort of James Bond movie or anything like that, whenever they reveal the ultimate bad guy, I mean, you look at Iron Man 3, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but in the comic book, the Mandarin is, you know, um, somebody Asian descent, like, so they're taken very seriously. In the movie, and I'm sorry for the spoiler, I apologize, but in, in Iron Man 3, the Mandarin is a very successful, business-oriented white dude in a suit. You know, when you look at all so it's when things finally start get taken seriously, you know, in comedies, that's when people, white men typically look like, you know, goofy people who have nothing together. But when you start to look at drama or um, any time where things need to be taken seriously, you know, yes, are white men seen as evil? Yes, but it's because they're focused on getting money or it's because they're, they're you know, they're smart enough to be the evil genius, you know, as opposed to, you know, then you always have the muscle that comes with them that's either somebody of, of, you know, a person of color who's, who's a brute has no idea what's going on, you know. So it's it's sort of that piece to it. So, like, as far as that stereotype that's there, I'd, I'd strongly disagree with, you know, most of that. You know, the evil piece, yeah, that's there, but they're evil because they're smart enough to figure out how to run a criminal organization or they're smart enough to be able to do something like that, whereas people of color typically don't do that, or in, in, as, as stereotypically found in, in media, you know. Well, and it's interesting, too, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought of, uh, two points. The first one is they're evil because they're manipulating a system that was made for them, you sure. know. Um, you know, whereas 
you know, the whole point of, of white privilege is that me as a white man, the system was made for me. I'm, I can navigate it easily. I understand it easily. It benefits me just because of the color of my skin. Um, so I could manipulate it probably not as well as, uh, you know, Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad. I don't know how to cook meth, and I really don't want to. But, um, you know, that's why it's hard to find characters of color who can do the same thing. Um, and usually when you do, um, there's a lot of money behind it, and so there's an intersectionality there as well. Right. Um, excuse me. And another point that... Uh, I had is when you're talking about Iron Man 3 and if you haven't seen Iron Man 3 at this point we're going to spoil it to all get out um, but the Mandarin, yes the Mandarin is a very wealthy white man who uses the face of somebody who perceivably is of Asian descent um, and uses that face as evil while he reaps the benefits and basically uses him as a pawn and sells him out um, as soon as he can, because why not? That's what he can do. And if that's not an allegory for basically how whites have treated people of color for the last, oh, I don't know, hundreds of years, then I don't know what is. Right. Right. This is a good, yeah, I didn't even think about that piece. You know, I saw the movie once, but there's definitely, there's definitely that piece to it. You know, you talk about inciting fear, and, and there's some overtones about terrorism and everything else in the movie. Uh, and the fact that he did have to use a person of color to sort of help incite that fear. Um, it's very similar to what we see nowadays with you know people of Middle Eastern descent and things like that. Um, and it's it's you know, it's frankly it's sad. You know? It's like that's 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 what goes on. It's kind of like great. <laughs> this is what we have to deal with. <laughs> I mean that's what that's even what's going on with this uh, this missing plane, which quite frankly I, I need to know where it is at this point. Um, it's probably the best TV show I've ever seen, and that's not to be disrespectful to families who've lost people um, or the people who are on the, on the plane, but, I mean, it's on every channel. Nobody knows where this plane is, but the first thing we did is say, hey, two Iranians had some fake passports. I bet they hijacked it, you know, and it's kind of funny in the ironic way that Iran recently released a statement saying, we think the United States kidnapped this plane to ruin our image with uh, China and other East Asian countries. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm not saying that they're doing the same things that we are, but at least they're kind of getting us back for the same stuff that we're doing to them. Um, as I say, turnabout's fair play, but in the end, I think I'd rather just find out where this plane is, and so I'm sure the families would too. But um, just to play off of that, um, they did. The first thing they did is look at the fact that there were two Iranians on a plane of, I mean, those planes are big. You probably have 150, 160 people on them. But no, it's these two Iranians we're going to focus on. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until, like, day eight that they started looking at the pilots um, and other people on the plane. Yeah, I, I don't know much about that, but, I, you know, we've seen that happen numerous times where it's, oh, no, the random security checks at the airport or, uh, you know, me personally being followed through the store because I, I had an incident where in college where or in my undergrad where I was being followed through a 7-Eleven because me and my, my friends the four of us were all people of color, and turns out the white woman was the one stealing everything in the store. Um, but it's it's that that same thing we see it whether on a on a national scale or um, in a Seven Eleven where it's the same thing of well you know the people of color those are the ones we need to focus on they're they're the ones messing everything up. Um, yeah, this is it's, it's, once again from an experience piece and from a from an emotional point it's it's frustrating it's it's absolutely frustrating and you know. Uh, as of late, being you know a person of Middle Eastern descent, I apologize for you know not using the correct language, but especially within America, you know it's, you're not getting treated the best just because you know you decide to put a head wrap on or whatever it is. Um, now all of a sudden you're the problem, and you know if if you weren't around, we wouldn't have these problems and blah blah blah. It's, it's, it's terrible. Absolutely, I mean every black comedian you know, within a year of 9-11 started talking about how, you know, those who are Middle Eastern or, you know, celebrate the Islamic faith, they're the new quote-unquote black person. I mean, that's not the word they use, but I'm right. not going to use that word. Um, and we, we could talk about that in another episode if you want, but, um, but you know, 
it's true. Um, short of, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the next black person, but because I didn't, ex I've never experienced that. But they are the next uh, most magnifying glass viewed um, marginalized group. Pretty much. I mean, that's definitely what it was. And I don't know if it was for comedians or for because it was it was for once in American society it was like and not to play the privilege Olympics and, and who's no the the you know suffering Olympics and who's who's getting treated worse than who but you know it's one of those things that um, for once in a long time the spotlight wasn't on us and you know it was it was on you know another group of people being treated terribly and it was kind of it was kind of this interesting experience of. So that's what it's like to be uh, to. That's what it's like to to look at that and see that happening, and it's the same thing with all those comedians. They immediately recognized that it was you know that's what was going on, and that they were being dragged. You know, the people of the Zombie Faith and Middle Eastern descent were being dragged through the mud, and it was kind of like this interesting experience to watch it happen to others, as opposed to being in the middle of it. Now, this isn't to say that you know uh, people of Hispanic, you know. Hispanic people or Native Americans and things like that haven't been. Because clearly, throughout you know throughout the history of America, at some point we've all well we've all been kicked in the rear at some point and been treated terribly. Um, but it was an interesting experience to see the collective focus move towards a different group. So, yeah, it actually to to lighten things up a little bit, it kind of reminds me of the Key and Peele skit of the uh, zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> You know how they're racist, and so right. they're running around just eating everybody. And then there's a group of black people just having a barbecue because nobody cares about them right now. Right. So they're kind of they're under the radar finally for the first time, and they're just like, "Woo, drink it up!" <laughs> I mean, it's not yeah. quite that funny, but I saw that one. I laughed. <laughs> I think Marcus posted it um, not too long ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. well, I think we've been talking about a good amount of time. We'll. Um, Let's just wrap this up with some final thoughts, and then uh, you know we'll leave it up to the rest. So. Okay. Yeah, I have one more quote. Just while you were you were talking a little bit, and I wanted to, uh, I think it's a, a a good one to share, and <clears throat> just something to kind of leave. I think for a, a thought more so than talk about it. But the uh, the the founder of this white man march wrote, "There is a liberal altruism in whites that must be confronted and dismantled." as it has become pathological, suicidal, masochistic, and sadistic to other members of our racial group. <sighs> That's what I thought when I, when I heard it. But um, So basically, what that's saying to me, and this, is, this will be my final thought on it, is this man is basically saying like the education that we hope to do, uh, diversity education and so on, is poison and we need to do reverse education to save the white race. I think my final thoughts are I think this is something that, that I've seen a lot of white people struggle with is understanding and learning about privilege and, and sort of how the advantages that I, that offers but also realizing at the same time that there's no there's no shame in being white it's the actions that you do and what you do when you find out that you do have privilege. So it's not like it's not like we're all, all people of color out here saying that white people are bad. The the goal is just to recognize the history, things that have gone on, and recognizing how to how to change behaviors or at least how to change the mindset to one that's more inclusive. Those are my final thoughts. Perfect. I think. Uh, well, I mean. Let's be honest to anybody who is viewing, and uh, I see that we do have at least one viewer, um, that this conversation can go on and, and has gone on for many, many years, but um, our ideas are to start the conversation, get it flowing, and then bring everybody into it. Um, so hopefully this is something that uh, people will comment on, people will share their thoughts on, um, whether it's in our view of something where this is not necessarily the best idea because it's just another exhibition of privilege or if it's it'd be great if it was the person who actually started this and decided to to kinda point counterpoint with us but I don't think he's gonna be watching us based on his views um, but the idea conversation is just starting so we definitely encourage people to um, comment to be a part of this conversation because what we say is 
uh, two and seven billion point of view. So, um, yeah. So we'll move on to the next uh, topic. Hey, it's, uh, actually, you, want to, you can bring this one up. <laughs> sure. So <laughs> uh, let, me, let me bring it up real quick. In uh, North Carolina, a nine-year-old boy uh, was banned from carrying his My Little Pony backpack. Um, basically, and this has been all over the place, I, I'm not sure if it trends on Twitter, I'm not a huge Twitter person, but it's trended on Facebook, who of course stole trending from Twitter, um, basically saying that it makes him a bullying target. Um, so, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade, and this is victim blaming. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you tell somebody... When you tell, I mean, it's it's when you tell somebody they're not allowed to be themselves because you might get picked on and you might be get beat up. So you're not allowed to do something that you would enjoy or have something that you would enjoy. Like you're basically saying you're not helping that kid out at all. You know, I'm a big fan of people being individuals and then finding their own style and keeping it real and being able to do them. And when you tell somebody, sorry, you're not allowed to do you because you might get picked on. Like, you're not doing that kid any favors at all. You know what I mean? You're only helping to to, to uh, conserve the status quo and keep things as they are, which in this point is, or in this story is, is you know, what masculinity should be described as. You know, you want, they apparently, because they told him not to wear the backpack, they want him to fit into that stereotypically masculine box of men don't watch, you know, men don't watch My Little Pony and men, uh, men shouldn't walk around with anything pink, and you know they, these these arbitrary things that don't matter. So it's it's and it's not helping them at all. Just saying, um, you know, you're gonna get picked on if you wear this backpack. No, absolutely. You know, um, again, it's a talk of the system. The system was made by straight white men for straight white men, and we can't have straight white men walking around with. And I quote, a fuzzy blue bag with cartoon pony Rainbow Dash um, on it. Now, I didn't even know the pony's name was Rainbow Dash, but I learned something today. So, <laughs> um, you know, but the, the point is, is if we can tell people, no, 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 don't do this because you'll be made fun of, that's just reinforcing the system and saying, you need to stay within these lines, much like you said. I mean, it's all it is is let's conform to the quote-unquote normal, um, but... You know, I think our point is there is no normal. There, there is no normal. There is only for you. Um, you know, um, I love the phrase "keeping it real." Um, I love the Dave Chappelle skits when "keeping it real" goes wrong, but um, but keeping it real is being who you are. And if this kid wants to to rock a fuzzy blue bag that has my little, I'm all for it. But I think that to say no, you're going to get picked on, rather than dealing with the people who are picking on. Um, him and and trying to eradicate this and teaching um, not tolerance because I hate the word tolerance but acceptance of individuals of differences um, then I think they're doing something right but um, the fact that they're saying no like he's getting picked on so don't don't let him keep doing this right it's we're we're perpetuating the system you know and we and and bullying is so problematic nowadays with, with students coming out. As, as you know, members of the LGBTQIAP community. I think I got all the letters. I don't um, know. <laughs> but as members of, of basically as, as, as not being, they're coming out as not being straight, and they're getting bullied to the point where they're committing suicide, and they're being killed and things like that. And when you tell a student you're not allowed to wear a pink backpack, which in my mind is way less of an issue, you know, you're supporting this culture that says it's okay for you to get bullied. If you, when, if I tell you not to wear the backpack and then you wear the backpack and get bullied, it's one of those things where the bullies now have permission to go ahead and 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 enforce the status quo. Um, and to, to and it this is a smaller a uh, smaller example, but we see this happen all the time. You know, I'm always bothered when we talk about. Sexual assault, especially because you know we both work in college campuses, and so sexual assault is a huge deal. And whenever there's a case of attempted sexual assault, or there's you know a, a victim decides to come out and say, "Oh, I've been sexually assaulted," the first thing that always happens is we blame the victim, and we, we go to this, "Well, you know, what were you wearing? Well, why did you walk alone? Blah blah blah." And 
the mindset is all wrong because then we go, okay, well, you know, if you wouldn't have been doing those things, if you wouldn't have worn a pink backpack, if you wouldn't have worn that skirt, you wouldn't have got attacked. That leads into this whole thing of, well, you know, now we're blaming the victim and, and it's the way that we, we even conceptualize solutions to the problems of, of bullying and sexual assault and things like that. Because um, we don't even give the victims a chance to be victims. They're immediately put on trial, and now they're the perpetrator of their own sexual assault, or they're the perpetrator of their own abuse. Um, and even when we sit there and we think about ways to help, it's all, it always comes back to that, you know, well, don't be a victim piece. Don't, you know, don't put yourself in that situation. And we never think about how to address these situations with the, with the uh, perpetrators. It's never... You know, when I remember my first year of college, we did a whole sexual assault awareness thing. And, you know, we did this stereotypical, you know, girls go in one room, guys go in the other. Uh, from what I heard about the women's part, they uh, were talked to about how every guy is going to rape them and blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, they, they found it, a lot of women found it really helpful. But in the guy section, it was like, all right, here's what is rape, what isn't rape, and here's how not to rape somebody. And there was never that focus on turning potential perpetrators into advocates for um, for women's rights or women's support or, you know, at least not rapists. Um, it's always that, you know, this is what this is what victims could do or this is what, you know, if you're a friend of somebody who, who could be a potential victim, blah, 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 this is what you're supposed to do. There's never that focus on, you know, focused on the perpetrators rather than the victims, and it's super frustrating. No, absolutely. absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny because when I was telling a friend of mine earlier today about the situation, we did liken it to uh, sexual assault, and that's not to take sexual assault lightly by any stretch. And uh, right. I, you know, I know I speak for both of us with that, but um, the similarities are extremely disturbing. So um, I guess I'm the quote guy for this. It's kind of like PTI right now, part of the sports show. Um, this is uh, a quote from or I'll just read a snippet from the USA Today article. And this is a quote from his mom. And she says, I didn't want to get out of the car because kids were being really mean, unquote. Um, she decided to get the school counselor involved but didn't get the help she expected. And then, quoting again, one of her suggestions was to hide it. She said that if you have something like this, you're asking for trouble. Um, later, the principal called and told her to keep the backpack at home, to which the mother said, quote, you're missing the picture here. You're telling him that it's okay for them to make fun of him. So what I hear in here, if we're going to stick with the uh, comparison to sexual assault, which I think um, for, for people to understand this, I think it's, a, it's actually a very good comparison. Again, all due respect uh, to a very different um, identity, a very different problem, a very serious problem. Um, you know, it's saying... Um, if you have something like this, you're asking for trouble, is the same exact thing of saying, well, you were you wore that skirt, so you were asking for it. Um, you were you drank too much that night, so you asked for it. Um, victim blaming 101. It's absolutely, I mean, I don't really have much more to say than what Steve did, so I'll just back it with quotes and try to sound smart. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it speaks to, if we can't even figure out how to do it with um, a kid wearing a pink backpack, we're like if we can't even come up with a solution to that to get that to the point where you know a kid can't get picked on for wearing a pink backpack, how are we supposed to deal with those much larger issues? How is that school system going to support? Let's say that student decides to come out and say, "Well, I'm gay." How is that student? What are they going to do then? Are they going to tell? Them, well, no, no, go back in the closet and stay there until you graduate. Like it's. It, if they can't handle this, what are they supposed to do when an actual issue occurs? Let's say, and I like to tie issues back into my own identity, but let's say there's a black kid that comes to school, and it's sort of like you know, racism isn't cool anymore. Like, I would I would jump to say like homophobia and and sexism is cool right now. It's okay to do those things, and and the system will benefit you. Racism isn't as popular right now because you know we've been through this and things like that. But let's say you have a black kid comes to school and he's getting picked on for being black. You can't tell that kid to go hide. You can't tell that kid to, you know, well, don't bring that to school. So then how do you deal with that at that point? Because your approach is all wrong. You know what I mean? The, 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 the system and the way that you, the, the way that that school decided to handle it is all messed up and doesn't provide support for the victims. And so it's, that would be my question is, well, what do you do when there's something that the kid can't hide? What do you do when the, the school, you know, it's not a backpack, but it's 
part of that person's identity. How do you handle that situation in a way that doesn't alienate or isolate or marginalize the student? Absolutely. And that's my piece. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, another thing, flipping this a little bit um, away from the victim and into you know the, the perpetrator, the aggressor, um, however you want to label them, um, the mother also said that one kid told her son to go home and kill himself. We're talking about a nine-year-old kid, and, you know, that goes to the same extent of if we're telling people not to come in with this, what are we teaching them? But if we're protecting people who are telling um, somebody who is wearing something out of the norm or carrying something out of the norm or has a very different skin color than them, um, that it's okay to tell them to go kill themselves. Um, something somewhere is telling that kid, um, again, if this happened, um, that there's no value to their life. Um, and, and that can take you to a whole other realm. We can talk about, um, we can talk about school shootings. We can talk about mental health. Um, but the fact that nine-year-old kids are talking about um, you know, go kill yourself, or you know, there are kids who are bringing guns to school at that age. There's something wrong with the system, the one that benefits um, these very people. So um, there's something there. I'm not entirely sure where I want to go with that, but um, maybe you can fill in the gaps a little bit. I I think it's you're right. There's there's definitely that systemic piece that's super problematic that clearly people aren't addressing. Um, and it's that what, what, I'm, try, I'm trying to like because there's definitely something that, that's that's a whole other conversation. In absolutely, the absolutely. Um, of that that piece of well, what are we what are we teaching our kids? Where at, at nine years old, and we see this in movies like Misrepresentation, and, and Tim Wise does some things and and things like that, where you know this culture of of misogyny and this culture of uh, homophobia. Is sort of is, is is learned at such a young age that you know kids by the age that they're nine know what men are supposed to be like and know what women are supposed to be like and that there is no in between and that you know um, yeah just that piece of it and so it's it's definitely that that systemic piece uh, it sucks because all the problems always come back to that systemic you know the big change piece but when you have a system like a school where there's direct ways to get involved and there's direct ways to cause change. Um, and people are choosing not to do that. I think that's the point that, that I think I find most frustrating is that people are making the choice to actively not do anything to make the situation better. Um, and that's, in, in, you know, we're talking about systemic piece, but the, the school system, even just that, that school or that classroom is, is small enough to have an impact and the minds are young enough to where you can truly get them to think differently and think about how to be open, pun intended, and things like that. Um, but there's no, they're, they're actively, the, the administrators and teachers and the, the students are actively choosing not to engage in making that change happen. Yeah, um, wow, so many things to, to um, great. Um, I work with somebody, um, or have worked with somebody, I should say, um, who taught here in Maine at a, at a school, and I think I've shared this with you already, um, but there's more than just you and I in this conversation at this point. Um, she taught in an area that's not very inclusive. Um, they're pretty open about it. They they got nothing to hide, um, you know. And she brought that kind of stuff in and was kind of pushed out in, in a in a sketchy way based on how she tells the story. Again, I'm not there, so it's a it's a secondhand point of view. But um, you know, so there is that. There's that. Um, and again, I don't know why. I think I'm on a system day. Quotes and systems. That's what I'm all about today. Nice. Um, but thinking about, okay, so if the people in charge are pushing these people out, it's never going to make it to the people who are the most important, which are the students. Um, but then looking also, um, looking at the government, looking at the budgets, um, you know, like Steve said, we both work at schools. Um, right now, we're looking at trying to cut millions of dollars from our budget. I don't know how California's doing, but Maine is not a very good uh, place to start a business, you know, run a school. It's it's pretty much you lose money every day, every second. So what gets cut first? 
um, the non-essentials are always what gets cut first. You know, we see save the arts, save music, um, save PE because we need people to learn um, how to live healthy lifestyles. But we never see save diversity programs, save um, acceptance programs because that's not a systemic value. Um, you know, obviously we've got people like uh, what we perceive to be this white man who wants to start marches because things aren't quite going the way he sees fit. Um, but, I mean, it's the same way in schools. Um, I, I worked here where I'm at right now for three years earlier in my career, and when we had to do our first round of budget cuts, we cut our Department of Global Opportunities, which was um, a great department because our international students had a, had a place to go um, where they could feel welcome, feel um, as though they, uh, they belonged in a, in a country which wasn't their own, in a culture that wasn't their own. Um, and that was the first thing we cut because it was quote-unquote not essential. So um, I guess I don't think that's a counterpoint, but I think that's a, a adding on. No, I, I would I would definitely agree with that. The counterpoint I would make to your counterpoint <laughs> is when we talk about band, because the avid band nerd was in jazz band and honor band and all of that, but those, those things cost money, right? It, co it costs money to play a trumpet. PE costs money. You need not only need the space, but you need the equipment, you need the teachers, you need the time. And there can be argument made on both sides for this, but teaching a space that is inclusive doesn't cost, at least monetarily doesn't cost anymore. All it costs is, is a little bit of time and some the, the, the willingness to change and the willingness to at least put the effort in to get students to think differently. And so I think that's, like, in, to speak to your point about, so I think that's where, why it's frustrating, you know, but also, like you said, it's not a systemic value. Diversity isn't something that a lot of—I would assume an elementary school puts out there, or whatever grade the student was in, like would would put out there. But how hard is it to say? How hard is it for a teacher to step in and say, "Don't make fun of him because of his pink backpack. If he wants, to, it's okay for him to wear a pink backpack," and for that to be supported by staff and you know, not staff, university, uh, but the teachers and the uh, principal. And the superintendent to say, okay, we're just going to make a space where people can feel like they can be themselves and that's okay. doesn't cost anyone any extra money. All it does is require the teachers and the, the, the administration to change their mindset. And so it's, it's frustrating because it's not, it, it's not even requiring them to do a whole lot. You see how much effort they're willing to put in to get this kid not to bring his backpack to school? You take that much effort and you put that in the, all right, Let's talk about why it's okay to have a pink backpack. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's, it's not that. Or when kids are teaching elementary school, talk about, you know, or in kindergarten or in preschool or whatever, when they're young, talk about why it's okay for boys to wear pink. And then all of a sudden, you've got a lifetime of change as opposed to, and I grant it, you're fighting off other forces at that point. But at least it's not costing anybody any money to build a space that's inclusive, um, you know. As opposed to, you know, when you're talking about a band room, you not only need a room, but you need instruments and you need blah, 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 and an instructor. Um, it's, it's a different kind of struggle. You know, we're talking about a, a, um, an emotional, mental, physiological, or uh, psychological struggle versus a monetary one, you know. Yeah, and I mean, looking at this particular case, the one that started this whole conversation, um, not that I've ever been one to focus, but why not bring it back a bit? Um, <laughs> It sounds like there's a lawsuit that's happening. I mean, they didn't they didn't mention it, but um, it did say that. Um, oh, here we say uh, the communications director for the school for the county schools said the school quote wants to resolve the issue unquote, but said he couldn't legally comment on a specific student situation. Um, so perhaps we're looking at something like FERPA, um, you know, students' rights. But I'd be willing to bet there's probably a lawsuit involved. In this, I mean, usually makes national news. There's probably something going on, right. um, but diversity training. Um, while I agree with you, there's it doesn't cost anything to create an inclusive space. Uh, it does sometimes cost a little bit to bring in somebody who's knowledgeable, you know. But the cost of that versus the cost of a lawsuit is probably, uh, you know, probably much more in the favor of an institution, um, whether it be educational, business. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, I, I do tend to think of things as a college point of view. Um, I'm a little jaded on the K through 12 system just because of 
uh, certain views on certain bills called No Child Left Behind. Um, <laughs> but that's political, and I won't get into that. Great. Uh, yeah, pretty much I'd agree. I, the, the, educa yeah, the, the education piece is definitely... Uh, I, I wasn't factoring that in to bring in somebody who knows what they're talking about um, and to have them be able to spend the time. Like, yeah, there is that piece to it. Um, and while there are plenty of resources online, it's hard to... I, I'm thinking about where I was when I started my social justice diversity journey. Um, definitely, you know, we're talking about seven, eight years ago. Um, definitely needed some help along the way. So there's definitely that piece to it that I, that I, didn't, that I didn't consider. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's pulling together your resources and who do you have that... that can at least get that conversation started, you know, um, about why a pink backpack is or isn't acceptable. I just, in my mind, it's it's a smaller problem that could have been dealt with, you know, easily um, in preparation for uh, maybe some harder conversations that may have may have to happen later. Um, so, no, I guess there's, there's two sides to everything. I guess still better. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, my my personal opinion is I think it's ridiculous. I think. Uh, you know, I, I and I'm pretty sure we share this opinion. That's part of the reason why we brought this up. Um, but let's put a positive spin on this. And props to um, the parents, you know, for saying you want to go to school with a little, uh, little My Little Pony. There we go. Um, backpack. You do you. You do what right. you got to do. Um, and it's one thing to say, yeah, go ahead. You're nine years old. You can make mistakes because that's how people look at it when they do these things. Make your mistakes as a kid. Um, but they went further. Rather than say, oh, okay, you can't bring it anymore. Sorry, honey. No, they're, they're taking this national. They're taking it, you know, potentially to the courts, and they're saying, no, if my son wants to bring this. And I think, and again, this is going to sound like a, this is gonna sound like a bit of a generalization, but um, the South isn't necessarily reputable in, in being the most inclusive. So for parents to, in North Carolina to say, hey, you know, go ahead, do this, um, that's something. And again, I'm, I, I did kind of generalize there, but... Um, you know, it, the reputation there isn't always the best, um, but I, I think it's commendable. I think uh, it's it's interesting to see parents do that. And um, so, props to I believe her name is Noreen Bruce. That's the mother's name. I don't have the father's name, but props to Noreen Bruce because I think that that's great and uh, that she's setting a great example. Sorry, I, I reflect those exactly. Good job. <laughs> Way to be a parent. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so it sounds like we're uh, we're kind of wrapped up on that. Um, any other final comments on that? Final statements? Uh, no, you know, just for for those that are watching, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. You know, this is this is a labor of love for me and Greg. And uh, the thing is, we'd be doing this anyways, regardless. So um, you know, we're we're talking about having these conversations for years. Um, the other part I will say is, you know, we, we I know I can speak for myself. I don't know everything, and so you know, it's one of those things that. Part of the reason for doing this blog and videos and things like that is just to get the conversation to keep going, and and you know I'm looking forward to hearing other people's points of views and thoughts. Uh, we just ask that you keep that open mind. You know, the the whole goal of have, naming the you know the blog open was just that. You know, we really do want to keep that open mind and think about things differently. So I look forward to you know seeing what everybody has to say. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. Uh, uh, thank you for those of you who have watched, are watching, will watch. Um, I know throughout we had as many as two viewers, so um, I, Steve, I don't think, can see that. I can. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I got a little nervous, so if I started to fumble up a little bit. But, no, I mean, he hit the, he hit the nail right on the head. Um, we, we do this not to make money. We do this, we actually spend money doing this because it is something that we love. Steve's right. We, we talk at least a couple times a week about just crazy things and uh, while we're not necessarily as professional as we are right now um, you know we, we definitely we care about this stuff and the, and the open thing I mean our tagline is open hearts uh, open minds open forums and that's very intentional we want people to know that we care about all identities but we can't speak for them we can't speak um, to every little thing um, I don't know much and to kind of make light of a situation, I'm white. I haven't had to know much, um, and and I'm challenging myself to to learn more and, and to be um, a, an advocate and ally for as many as I can. Um, 
And uh, so thank you, and I won't run that off too much. But this is something we plan to do more often. Um, we are using Google Hangouts, and so we have opportunities to do question and answers. Um, we plan to invite people on. So there's a lot more to it than just listening to the two of us rant. Um, you know, <laughs> and we will. But um, so we hope that you've enjoyed this. We, we do hope that you'll continue to, to log on. Um, if you have ideas for us, if you have things, topics, suggestions um, on how to do this better, we're open, pun definitely intended, um, to, uh, we're, we're definitely open to hearing your ideas and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely bring people on and um, one day we'd love to have this be five, six, seven people and just, you know, make it a, a big old party. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm good. With all that said, I'm all set for this evening, and uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and post this and um, the open podcast um, link on our website, www.areyouopen.org. I thought I had too many W's in there. <laughs> but I, I think if you've used the Internet to get here, you know how to get there. So, um, But, yeah, www.areyouopen.org, all spelled out. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. We are, um, it says Open Social Justice Blog, I believe. We're on Twitter at OpenSJBlog. Um, we're everywhere, so definitely feel free to reach out to us. Um, my email address is greg at ruopen.org. Steve at ruopen.org. We make it real simple. Um, so thank you again, and uh, have a great morning, afternoon, good night.